Hi, and welcome to Conversations to Connect. I'm Fenella Hawksley, and this podcast is brought to you in collaboration with the Campaign to End Loneliness. Social isolation and loneliness are widespread and can have a huge impact on health, happiness, and overall well-being. All people of all ages need connections that matter, and on this podcast, we will be hosting conversations to share insights, knowledge, and research to inspire change and to help people feel more connected. More than 2 million people in the UK over the age of 75 live alone and more than a million older people say that they go over a month without speaking to a friend, neighbour or family member. Reengage aims to tackle this issue of loneliness in older age. They are helping to make life less lonely for thousands of people every year, from organising monthly tea parties to people aged 75 and over, to running a telephone befriending service, to group activities offering gentle exercise and social connection. Reengage enables people to form valuable social connections to improve life and loneliness in older age. I'm joined by Meryl Davies, Chief Executive at Reengage. Hi Meryl and welcome to Conversations to Connect. Thank you so much for joining. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you very much. So when were you first introduced to the topic of loneliness and how did you get involved with Reengage? Oh, what an interesting question. I think that I was introduced to the topic of loneliness from personal experience. You know, like a lot of people, I've, I've experienced loneliness. I actually joined Reengage partly because it was about loneliness, but more because it's about older people. And I felt really inspired to work with older people. And that was what I wanted to do. And I had been working in international development, actually. And I'd moved back to London and I really wanted to work with people within my own community. And so I saw this as a really great opportunity because there was always the possibility that somebody actually living on my street would be somebody who was involved in the charity. So that was, it really ticked all of those boxes for me. In terms of loneliness, I think that we all think about it a lot. And I guess I think about it more in the context of the older people that we work with than I do myself. But if I do think about my own experience of it, I must say, and I know a lot of people say this, but when I had my first child, I would say that that was a time of real real feeling of incredible loneliness. And, and And I know a lot of people talk about that, but at other times in life as well. That's the thing. I think people often talk about loneliness in older age, but it's something that you can experience at various different life stages. It just can get so much worse in older age because there's so many different factors that can contribute to that. Why do you think loneliness is such a huge issue in older age? Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? I think that, I mean, I think one of the things that's probably the case still is that we're not very good at getting better at it. We're not getting better at, at combating it. It can come along and, and re-find you, even though you think you know how to deal with it. And I think that's something that we should all keep the conversation going about, how we tackle it so that it might, because it does, it does impact on people at different life stages. But for the older people that we work with, I think that there's this really strong sense that nobody prepares to be the last. And you can't quite imagine that you will be the, the sole survivor And we don't really, very few of us, until we're quite a lot older, really anticipate what life will be like at the end of life. But the people we work with, you know, they literally turn around one day and everybody's gone. And they said, you know, they've lost their significant other. They've lost their their siblings and their friends and a surprising number have lost their children as well. And they find themselves in a situation where there is there is no 
cure for their loneliness. Their social world has gone completely. And those those are the people that we tend to, to find come to us. And it's really hard for them to come to us because sometimes people don't sort of realise what's what's happened to them until they come to us and suddenly feel happy again. You, know, you have very striking stories like people who say, well, I, I didn't get a single birthday card, but I thought that that was, that was life, that was getting older, that's because everybody was gone. But then I joined a re-engaged group and, and then I got 15 birthday cards. I think the fear of making friends when you're older, I think we can get so set in our social circles. If then everyone that you used to socialise with is no longer with us, that is, you have to start basically from scratch, like going to school. I read um, on your website, it said the joy of making friends over the age of 85 is incredible. And it must give people this new lease of life that they can create these new social interactions and connections. Absolutely. And and a lot of people just don't have access to that. And if you can't get out of the house very easily and you don't really have the opportunity to do that, then it's it's really striking. And there are those certain points, like you say, like going to school, going, starting a new job or you, actually, ironically, having a child because you do then start meeting people and then you do make oh, yeah. friends. But, uh, you know, so there are those sort of milestones along the way. But most of the time we don't go around making friends in adult life, do we? You know, it's not like you suddenly sort of bump into somebody and become friends with them. And so and that happens less and less as you get older. There are fewer and fewer <laughs> opportunities. And so by the time you get to the stage where you aren't able to go out and join new things, then that's what's going to happen. And I always remember, you know, when you come to work in an organisation like this, you sort of spend, oh, I don't know, less, at least the first couple of years just endlessly thinking about the, all the older people in your own life and the stories about them that make everything resonate. But there, there was a story from my personal life. So I grew up in multi-generational household because my grandmother lived with us and then later on my grandfather lived with us. And my grandfather came to live with us. You know, he left behind the place where he'd lived all his adult life and left behind the few social connections he had left and moved in with a very busy, noisy family. And there was an old man called Jack who lived nearby. And Jack used to come around and they became friends. And they were both incredibly shy people. And they developed this friendship. And I walked in on them one day and they were sitting in their chairs together and they were moving their arms in a funny, <laughs> funny way. And I said, what are you two talking about? And they said, we're talking about scything. <laughs> and they were comparing scything techniques. As in like shocking. Grass, yeah. <laughs> with, with an old fashioned tool, you know. And, and so not only had they oh found each other, but they found oh. topics of conversation that made sense to them. In, in much later life that yeah that's so beautiful and that is just unmeasurable the impact that that can have on your well-being yeah. mental and physical I think it's friendship is is something that's just so important and it's it's so positive to know that you can really make new friends at any age and that is something that is so fun about your about re-engage so the monthly tea parties I just love that concept how did how did it start how did re-engage first start oh it all began it all began with the idea of tea and it all began with this extraordinary man called Trevor Littleton who is now in his 80s but at the time was was a young man who recognized that there were older people around him in London who really didn't have friends and connections and so it was the it was the 1960s and he and some friends started taking older people out for tea. And this developed into tea parties. And so the first ever tea party was actually very central London. And it just grew and grew and grew. And so people set up tea party groups right across the country and it, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So, yeah, it was it was this wonderful kind of movement for friendship and change, which was really wonderful. 
So how many now tea party groups do you have all over the country? We've got about 600 at the moment and and we did have more than that. Um, some of them did close down during the pandemic, which is a real shame. So, we, you know, and we're working to get them all back up and running and then to launch new ones. And and they are very lovely. They they are a really beautiful moment where a group of people gets together because the important thing is it's, it's the same people every every time. So it really does form a, a group. And, you know, these incredibly generous volunteers get involved. And and then, of course, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not me. It's not us. It's the older people that, that are the attraction. And and so they find it very hard to stop the volunteers, you know, because <laughs> because they become, you know, because it's a lovely thing to do. And the older people are so delightful and it's so wonderful to spend time with them that, you know, volunteers will say, well, I, I thought I might do it for a couple of years, but 10 years later, I'm still doing it because I can't imagine not doing it. I know I saw a lovely interview with one of your volunteers who was saying it's set up to help older people combat loneliness but actually when she started volunteering I think she said maybe her grandmother had died and it was at a time in her life when she also really needed connection so it's not just about helping older people it's also the volunteers it has this huge positive impact on them do you see that it really does yeah very much so and it's really interesting, again, thinking about, you know, how we combat loneliness and how we think about loneliness, because actually a lot of people join as volunteers because of a life change. You know, so it might be that they move to a new area or they they've lost somebody. I mean, quite often it's because they've lost somebody or that they their children don't have access to encounters with older people, if you like. And so it's a nice opportunity. A lot of people want want their families to get to know the older people. And but actually, quite a lot of those life changing moments are moments of loneliness. It's just we don't call it that. And yet, actually, that that's quite often the trigger that makes people volunteer in all sorts of ways. And and I guess the question would be, should we call that loneliness or should we should we try to combat it by saying, well, I went through change and, you know, something changed in my life. And so I knew I had to do something about it rather than I went through a change and I felt lonely and I did something about it. Well, change is one of the biggest triggers for loneliness so I think it's combined it's kind of like a big life change can make you feel quite lost and maybe disconnected so it's all linked I think loneliness has a bit of a taboo around it which is the problem it's almost shameful or people think it's shameful to say that you're lonely because we we live in this society where you have to be having social connections all the time but yeah, maybe we do. We need to change the word. Disconnected? I don't know. Yes, exactly. That's a, yes. As you say, there's the taboo and there's the sort of fear of saying, well, I'm feeling loneliness. And as soon as you're part of something which feels like there's a taboo connected with it, then you feel as if there's something wrong with you and therefore that you're less attractive, if you like. Whereas if you say, you know, mm -hmm. I'm feeling disconnected, you know what to do then. You mm -hmm. reconnect. But it's how we go about reconnecting and whether we can reconnect and find the right way to reconnect. That's the important thing. And so for us in the work that we do with the older people, they can't. You know, mm. there's, there's just endless points of disconnection for them. You know, they, they're not online. A lot of people aren't online. A lot of people can't get out of the house. And you hear people being told ways of connecting with their with the society outside the home. And again, you know, I was in my local supermarket once yeah. and. There was a gentleman who was buying, you know, one thing in front of me in the queue. And the lady at the checkout said, are you not getting your bread? And he said, no, I did that this morning. Oh, gosh. Do you know what? It makes me so sad because I hate self-service checkouts. 
because I just don't like the fact that you can go into a shop now and just not speak to a soul and leave. And I just feel like part of life is the random human interactions that you have throughout the day. And I, cause I, I used to live in the, in the Caribbean and they're like supermarket trips take <laughs> an insanely long time, but it's like, <laughs> because you chat, you just, you queue, you chat to people in the queue. And obviously you don't want it to always take that long, but there is something so nice about the experience. And for people who don't leave the house that much, or maybe don't have, you know, they don't have a job anymore, they're retired, they don't have that many things and social interactions in the day, like those small interactions, those are the things that make up the social connections that they need. I saw this story in, um, I think it was Norway, where they've introduced slower checkout lanes for older people so that they can have a chat. I think that's really nice. Yes. Yeah, that is really nice. And it, but it is really interesting, isn't it, that everybody's, you know, in a hurry and and therefore, you know, we, we, we can't make time for for the slightly slower people in, mm. in our communities. And it's mm. but it, yes, it is. It's it's uh, it's so true that it does feel sad that those those interactions don't happen. And I, I you know, I feel sad that quite so many, you know, a lot of people don't feel part of their community. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you've ever lived in a place where you do feel part of a community, wherever that might be, in whichever part of your life, it teaches you those skills so that you're less anxious about just connecting with other people and interacting with other people and there's something very precious about having spent just any part of your life in a in a place where it's all right to say hello to strangers and that sort of thing because then then you're equipped for it so you can potentially do it yourself in other parts of your life true that's what I loved you just said hello as you walked down the street to everyone (laughs) so apart from the monthly tea parties Reengage also has a befriending telephone network. How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. We've got it's called Call Companions, and we um, actually set that up at the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And and of course, the COVID pandemic came along, and you know, it was it absolutely shook. You know, it, it shook everybody's world. But for us, what well, we, we took vulnerable, much older people out of the house. So with the lockdown came the end of everything that we'd always done. And I know that was true for a lot of organisations and for a lot of people, but for us, we absolutely had to pivot and pivot fast. So we made sure that all the older people that were part of our tea party groups were getting regular phone calls. And then we thought, well, if we can do it, then for them, then we, we, you know, we must take that model and do it for other people too. And we wanted to set something up that would really work and really last. And so we, we set up Call Companions and it, it grew and grew during the pandemic and has continued to grow, actually. And we've continued to find people who really want to have a regular phone call. And the regular phone call means a lot to them. And they they really do feel like it tells them that somebody cares. So they get half an hour phone call every one or two weeks. And the, the feedback we get is really, it's very moving. And people really do appreciate getting that call and, and having the regular conversation with the same person. So is that people who attend the regular tea parties or is it? No. no? Okay. No, that's different people. So you find that different people would would like the phone call. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also it's really great for us because we didn't used to have a programme for people after they finished when they could no longer get outside at all. So for the, for the tea parties and so, you know, people who, who really can't get out and are actually housebound, they, they will have the call or some people just just prefer that. So no, it's not. It, it, we we do. We, some people have both. Um, but it, but it, but the, the idea behind it was it, that it was there as an alternative for, for anybody who wanted it. 
And then we also really wanted to make sure that we were reaching more and more people with different life experiences. So one of the things that we did actually was we were able to match people with different languages as well, which is, of course, doesn't work for the tea parties, but it does really work for the calls. So we did have volunteers coming forward who had a first language, which was a different language, and we were able to match them. But also what we did a year ago now is we launched our telephone service for LGBT older people. And again, it felt like the right thing to do was to to launch that as a telephone befriending service, partly because that's a that's a cohort of people who have experienced such discrimination that we really did want to make sure that it was a truly sort of safe space. But also because actually it's quite hard for older people to get out and, and come out in society at a time when they're quite frightened of being pushed back into the closet by healthcare and 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 by circumstances. So telephone befriending felt like the right thing for that. So that's that's something we launched a year ago. Wow, that's so yeah, important. I actually on our second episode of Conversations to Connect, I interviewed Eddie Elmer who and we to talk about loneliness and marginalization in the LGBTQ community and they experience more loneliness on average because of a variety of different factors but minority stress and discrimination. So the elderly LGBTQ community are really in need of that kind of support. But obviously a lot of spaces are mostly designed for young people. So yeah, that's right. It really is a very sort of young looking space. And so for older people, it really can be, it really does feel like that like it's not for them. Uh, and so we've had some really wonderful older people who've come forward and, you know, who've lost a partner of 50 years and who have been through so much and just need that, that safe space where they know that they can talk to somebody. And they re- and all of our callers are, so whoever the volunteer is, is, is also from the LGBT community. And so that that's important. We, we, we did get asked questions about that, but I, I feel very strongly that it's important that, it, you know, that you're speaking to somebody else who's got, who understands your life experience in that kind of visceral way. How many people are part of the telephone befriending service? Of Rainbow Call Companions. It's a really interesting one because actually the other, when we set it up, the first thing we did was we went out and did some research with older people. And we we approached a huge number of organisations working with older people, LGBT organisations. All of them had got an older people as in the over 50s, but pretty much everybody said they didn't really know or didn't think that they had anybody over 75. And, and we work with the over 75s. That's what we do. So that doesn't change. And so actually, it's been really interesting seeking ways to find older people who want to step forward and, and have this. So we do work with social prescribers and we do get people coming via social prescribers. But actually, we inevitably, we've got more volunteers than we have older people. And actually, it's, it's one of those really interesting things about how do you get the message out there that you're here for people, for a cohort of people who might well not be online and might well not know how to find this. And also lived through a intense period of discrimination where it wasn't, you weren't able to be overtly at all show your sexuality. I mean, when did that change in the law? So that that changed in the law at the end of the 60s, but then you had Clause 28 in the 80s where the promotion of homosexuality was was banned in schools and so on. And so, you know, it's been, there's been, and then and then you had the AIDS pandemic and the, the discrimination and marginalisation through that. So you've got people who've been through multiple, multiple reasons why you shouldn't talk about your sexuality. 
multiple reasons why you, sh you just want to be quiet. And so that's that's a really striking generation of people that we're talking about here. Yeah. Well, I think it's really great what you guys are doing. And especially, did you say that this started during the pandemic? Because I was going to ask how how did the pandemic impact everything that you're doing at Reengage? Because obviously that was a time when people who weren't usually lonely experienced extreme loneliness. So for people who are already isolated, it was a very difficult time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it was essential that we that we did as much as we possibly could. So we set up the telephone, the call, the call companion service. And of course, what happened was that, you know, lots of fabulous people stepped forward to, to volunteer with us, which was just wonderful. And some of the nice things that happened there were that it gave us an opportunity to meet different groups of volunteers who we would never have met just through the tea parties and also people who were shielding. And so therefore were shut inside for a lot longer. They were really loving being volunteers with us. We had one person who um, had wanted to volunteer for different organisations, but they'd wanted her to go into an office and that kind of thing. And the fact that she could just be at home and make this huge difference to somebody's life was huge for her. She's like a 25 year old. And we wouldn't have met her if but for doing the call companions. And the older people, absolutely, we had many more older people join the service through that. And again, you get, you, know, you get slightly different cohorts of people. So the tea parties, I mean, we all love the tea parties, but they are tea parties. They are to a certain extent, you know, product of a certain era. And so they really work for some people, but not for others. And we have found that by doing the Core Companions and now we do the activity groups as well, that we are seeing more men involved, for example. And it does, you know, has, it has sort of shifted things a bit. So how do the activity groups work? So the activity groups, we've now got them in four different areas of the country. But what they are, so it's all, loneliness has to come first, right? So it has to be that you're that's for the over 75s and for people who are experiencing loneliness and social isolation. And so the tea parties do that, the calls do that. And then the activity groups are for, so again, for people who are over 75 living alone. But instead of coming together for tea and cake and what have you, they come together for gentle exercise. So we do chair yoga and Tai Chi and all sorts of different activities. We started it out just in Wales. We, we were funded by the Welsh Government. So we, start, we, we launched it in Wales. It, we launched it actually in 2020. So we had to launch it online. And again, you know, you get people saying things like, well, it, you know, because we trust you, because you know what you're talking about and you understand us as a group of people, we felt safe that we could do an online yoga class and that you wouldn't leave us on the floor. And that was really, you know, there's somebody said, well, you're not going to make me get down on the floor and then I can't get up and I'm stuck at home on Zoom, you know. So we had this lovely feedback that people felt that because we really do focus on that older group, that we wouldn't do anything that wasn't safe for them. So that was really important. But yes, now we have those and we then we rolled them out in West Yorkshire and now we're in Birmingham and the Midlands and we're about to start in Bristol in the southwest. So we've been rolling it out gradually. And what we really want to do is make sure that we can sustain that work by working with that particular cohort. And I was really intrigued as to whether the average age of, of the older people would come down, but it doesn't particularly. So the average age of the Tea Party guests is 88, but the activity groups is 79. So it's still, it's not, I, I was worried it was going to be 75 in a day, you know, <laughs> and that we would, you know, that we would end up with, um, you know, a much younger cohort. But actually, we are still very much working with people towards their 80s. So I think that, that the really important thing for us, though, is to sustain that understanding of that age group. Make sure that you're doing things that are right for them and that you're training your volunteers and making sure that you've got what's what's really needed for that particular age group. 
But at the same time, it's really important to recognise that they are they are people with capacity. They are people, you know, who, who can make their own decisions. And so therefore, part of the training of volunteers is to remind them of that and that you're not actually taking on responsibility for somebody's life. You're making their life less lonely. And what we really want to make sure then is that we can create this in such a way that it can really be sustained and grown. And so what we want to sort of work on gently rolling out the activity groups so that we can build them in such a way that people can ultimately pick them up and run with them, so to speak. We can start setting them up across the country, but in a way that makes sense and is volunteer led. So they are run by volunteers? At the moment, it's a mix. But what we want to do is make sure that they are volunteer led going forward. So in the the beginning, no, but we, we have teachers who come in and teach. And is it similar to the tea party? So it's locally run, so it builds a kind of local community? Yeah, absolutely. Very much so. Very much so. So it's, yeah, I mean, there was some feedback I saw the other day where they said, well, there's one in North Wrexham, but I live in South Wrexham. So yeah, they're that local. (laughs) (laughs) They're that local. Oh, that's really good. Because then that provides another way for people to meet people in the area if they wanted to continue the friendship outside. Absolutely does. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a really, it's a really great way for, for people who can do the, do the teaching to be able to think about, you know, extending their client group if you like so obviously you know in my dreams there are people who are yoga teachers who will say well you know I I teach yoga for a living but for an hour a week I'm going to volunteer to do that with the older people because actually knowing how to work with older people is it is another skill which is really an exciting one to develop and practice and so thrilling that it makes such a difference you know because actually it really does and it really does make you know because as because we all know that if you do some exercise and some activity it makes you feel better. So it combats the loneliness. It helps towards that general health and well-being as well. So it's t- it is really, really important to be thinking about how to think in healthy ways and to, to help people to be more healthy. No, definitely. And to off- and the joy that people get from it, but also the joy that volunteers get from giving that. There's a, there's a quote by Picasso, which is, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And it kind of reminded me of that. We should volunteering for an hour if that's that joy that people can get from that. That's what really came across in some of the videos on your website, that the volunteers really, really benefit from from the volunteer work that they do. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's a really lovely thing to do. It's a lovely thing to be involved with. And, you know, we'd love to see, you know, tea parties are lovely, but we were back in the day, the tea party organisation. And so quite early on after I joined, I was told about a group that didn't want to tell us, but actually somebody had found out that they didn't do Sunday tea. They did Monday lunch, but they were worried that we'd mind. Oh. <laughs> and so I'd be thrilled if people did Thursday coffee or whatever. And we, we want to be able to offer the sort of the core, which is things like the training. And, and, you know, we're really growing and developing the volunteer training and the sort of core, you know, the infrastructure, the sort of charity infrastructure that you need to keep everybody safe but then for people to take that and really grow it in their own way that in the way that's right for their community and so I think that that's what you know that's really what we want to be doing more of going forward and and the interesting and critical thing is around to what extent you when you develop things which are anti-loneliness and so on is can you know how you develop them for for people who do need help in some other sense as well so people who can't get out of the house for example because actually having a real kind of free-for-all hey everybody just show up at the local pub on a Thursday and don't be shy is absolutely brilliant and fantastic for you and for me 
but it's not if you can't get out of the house on your own. And and I would imagine that your average sort of social prescriber isn't going to say, oh, yes, I feel confident in prescribing yeah. popping to the pub. Not- <laughs> um, I mean, they might, you know, but what we know from from social prescribers who do send a lot of people our way is that they really feel that they're sort of working with us on helping older people and that things like the volunteer training and all the stuff that you can see on our website, that's a real validation of the social prescribers decision to 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 send somebody to us. Um, and so it's very important for us that we that we don't just go. Are we here to promote a kind of a, a free for all movement kind of thing? Because actually it, it is a bit more structured than that for, for, for good reason, because otherwise you're not going to find the most vulnerable people. And otherwise you're not going to be able to get to the people who need you the most. Yeah, and that that's so true. Like, I think a lot of things are created to solve a problem, but not always thinking about the, yeah, the people who are the harder to reach, for example. But I saw that you, for the tea parties, you pick people up and you take them to the tea parties and you drop them back. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. The vol- that's what, so we have somebody called a volunteer driver and it's the biggest misnomer, honestly, because it sounds like they're, you know, a chauffeur, right? Yeah. And yet they're the absolute opposite of that. They are the most amazing person who will go and pick up the same one or two people every time and have a really great relationship with them and you know and they have that time in a car so it's you know it's not just it you know depending on where you live it's not just taking somebody to somebody's house so the, the tea parties always happen in the house somebody's house but it's not just the tea party itself but it's the journey there and the journey back which is just as important and building that relationship and they get real insight into and that's what you know that's where you get the one-to-one connection they get real insight into to people's lives and needs and so it, they, they're, they're fabulous. And at some point we'll come up with a better name than driver because they really are so much more than that. <laughs> so what impact do you see on the people who attend the activity groups and who attend the tea parties? We actually do take our impact assessment very seriously. We really want to be able to demonstrate that there's, that there's, there's very real value here and make sure that we're getting it right. So we have an advisory group made up of people over 75 who give us insight on a regular basis. And then we also do regular check-ins with with the older people themselves. And so we find that the improvement in the sense of well-being is significant. And we know that people do feel less lonely. And it's it's hard to measure when somebody is when and then they're suffering from constant loneliness. You know, you worry that, well, if you just go go out for tea once a month, is it really going to have that big an impact? But it absolutely does. You know, we do actually ask people, we do a we take baseline information from people and then we we go back and say, how how are you feeling? And people do feel less lonely, more connected. And then, you know, they just tell us lovely stories like the one about the birthday cards or, you know, that, and they say, you know, without this, I wouldn't have anything. And it for a lot of people, it is literally the only social contact that they have. I was going to say it's also something to look forward to. And there's been studies saying that if we have things to look forward to, it can make us just genuinely feel overall more happy in our day to day. Knowing that you've got this tea party every month and you have something to look forward to, even if you're feeling a bit lonely on a certain day. That is one of the very common bits of feedback that we get is I love having something to look forward to. And I and I didn't used to have something to look forward to. And, you know, some people get dressed up really beautifully. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's always very, very moving as well. You know, it's you get out your jewellery and your makeup and so on. 
And I went to a, a tea party as we were coming out of the lockdowns and people were starting to go out. And a lot of older people lost a lot of confidence during the lockdowns, you know, and it's not just that you 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 missed out on that time and then then well I mean a lot of people lost a lot of confidence I lost confidence you know a lot of us did, yeah. right you yeah know. I lost confidence yeah you know we I mean I didn't it took, took me ages to start going back on tube trains and things like that you know and so these are people in their 80s and 90s you know they, they, they it wasn't just like suddenly we all went da let's all go back out again and do things they were terribly worried and the volunteers were terribly worried and there was lots of debate about vaccines and masks and you know all of that and how did you all get onto the same page so it was really quite complicated getting back up and running but um it was just so delightful to be there and just see the absolute joy on the faces of people who hadn't they hadn't seen each other for two years and these were their only friends <laughs> so they had been speaking to each other on the phone of course but actually to see each other and you know they were just sort of holding hands and and just thrilled to be back together again Oh yeah, that you can't even measure in words. I think the the feeling that that this is why I'm so passionate because I just think social connection is it's a human basic need and it fulfills us in so many different ways. And sometimes it feels like we lose that a bit. Absolutely, we do, we do, and it's and 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 we find it so hard to do something about it. And I think you know if you are one of the people that can, then then you should should be sort of slightly evangelical about it. So I've got. Um, I've got some some young children and um, <laughs> people think that I started all these WhatsApp groups. Absolutely didn't. I started one, but, you know, but I am always the person going around going, are you on the WhatsApp group? Are you on the WhatsApp group? And especially trying to, you know, go up to people who perhaps, you know, are less likely to have been included for whatever region and reason and and just double, double check that everybody's on the WhatsApp group because, it's really important that everybody has the opportunity to 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 have whatever social connections there are. So, putting you know it, it, things like that are, are essential. And 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 you know you get all these people that say, "Oh, we've just moved to the neighbourhood. We don't know anybody. We don't know what to do at the weekends." You know, there's all those people that would be lost mm-hmm. otherwise. And all they have to do is is connect with other people. And so, I think if anybody's sort of brave enough to come across as a bit of a I don't know, a bit bossy or something, then then, uh, <laughs> then it's really important. Definitely, because sometimes people are too shy to ask. Yeah. I saw that one of your objectives is regarding diversity and inclusion. So how are you planning on making all the social interactions more inclusive? Yes. The first thing that we did was the Rainbow Call Companions, the LGBT Call Companions. And that has been very important to us that we identified that as a group of people that, and, and as, as something that we could do something about. In terms of, of the wider sense of, of inclusion, I think the critical thing for me, like I say, is that it has to be what we do has to be empowering. If we can build this infrastructure so that the, the safeguarding is written into it, so that you can have the confidence to work with particularly vulnerable people. But at the same time, it doesn't actually matter what it is that you do, then that is surely the way forward. And so I think that, you know, we always said that we, we set up our strategy, which we called the REACH strategy. And R was for reduce loneliness, and but E was for empower volunteers. And what we're doing is really building that body of training and building systems and automations and things like that. So it's easy. It's easy. You can come along and say, I want to run a group. And like I say, I want to run a Domino's group is just as good as I want to run a tea party group. 
And so I think that if you think in that way and then then, you know, you empower people to take advantage of the infrastructure that you can offer and then they can take it forward. With the focus on local community, then that can really help volunteers work with their local community. Absolutely. But then we can then take that to the referrers and the social prescribers and so on and say, look, there's this great group of volunteers who really want to do this, but we want to make sure that they're doing it with people who really, really need it. I saw that at Christmas you run a free directory. Could you explain a bit about that? Because is it, it's, it's a free directory that shows activities and local events for people who might be alone at Christmas. That's right. That was something called Community Christmas that was set up about oh, 12 years ago. And it became part of Reengage. And we had some really difficult Christmases when nothing was happening because of COVID. But yeah, the principle is that there's a directory which shows lots of different activities that are going on that are open to older people. And so we were delighted that 900 different organisations signed up to be on, on the directory this last Christmas to say we're open at Christmas and people are very welcome. And people were therefore able to connect through that. Going forward, I think we're going to focus more on more specific interventions for people who are definitely going to be alone at Christmas. And so we'll probably do things a little bit differently next Christmas. It, it has been a, a really important way of getting the message out there that if you make space for older people, then we can help you to, to connect with them. Are there ever like additions of the monthly tea parties, but a Christmas lunch instead? Yes. Yeah. Most uh-huh. of the groups will do all sorts of different things for. So, And there are some people who volunteer to do Christmas lunch. That's what they do. They say, this is, you know, I want to be the Christmas house that you all come to. And so it's it's really nice. So you have different people hosting the, the tea parties at different times. And they do all sorts of lovely things, to be honest with you. And then, again, it's it's down to the group as to, you know, sometimes they do things. They, they go somewhere else where somebody has yeah, a nice garden or whatever, and they'll always go there in the summer and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's really nice. And sometimes, you know, people like to host maybe once or twice a year, but they that that way they make a a really special occasion of it. So you don't, you wouldn't want the hosting the tea party to be sort of an onerous thing. But actually, I mean, the first one I ever went to was local to me, and um, they had you know enough room to invite everybody in, and then they had some teenage kids, and they just wanted these kids to meet older people and to host, literally host them. And so they were these teenagers invited everybody in and served the food and baked the cake and played the violin and all of that, you know. And it, that's how it works. And the drivers, one of them had brought her toddler, and that's what people like. You see that it, you know, people you go to somebody's house and their dogs and cats are there and. And we need more intergenerational social interactions. My granddad is going to be 100 God, this year. And so we're ha- he's having a party and that will actually have an age range of from about two to 100, which is quite exciting. It's brilliant. It's, it, there's, that, that is so lovely. And it's, it's a big, huge congratulations to him. And that's wonderful. I tell you what is funny, though, is sometimes with the cool companions, when you're going to be on the phone, you know, for half an hour a week, sometimes people say oh could I have somebody a bit closer in age to me so we'll have something in common (laughs) which is quite funny but yeah so every now and then we get that but but we do also of course have absolutely lovely relationships between younger people and older people and just delightful absolutely delightful I suppose if you're 12 you can't talk about scything yeah exactly if you're 12 you can't talk about (laughs) scything and um yeah, exactly. And, and all those sort of, you know, the conversations about how things used to be and so on. So, yeah. <laughs> but you get special people of every age involved in, uh, in, our, in our connections and it's wonderful. So what are the next steps for Reengage? Well, we 
are absolutely determined to do to do more. And really, like I say, what we want to do is build this solid core so that people can join us and do more, but in a way that will continue to attract the people who need it the most. And so we are building our volunteer management and our volunteer training. And so we just recruited a new volunteer training manager, actually. And so she'll be putting together more and more resources so that the volunteers can feel more empowered to be able to do the things that they want to do within their communities. We will be growing and developing the activity groups more. And another thing that we're doing some work around is around well, digital exclusion. And it's, it's just really interesting because lots of people have got the solution to the digital. And, and it's a bit like everybody having a story about their grandparent, like me and mine. We all know somebody who's terribly, you know, who's like 87 and, and, and you know, is a gaming champion or whatever. We all know like these amazing people online. My granddad's 99 and he sends the best WhatsApps and emojis. See, exactly. But for every one of your granddad, there's somebody who doesn't have any access to the internet. And the ongoing support that's needed is is often one of the barriers. And so if you don't have family, and a lot of the people we work with don't have any family at all, or anybody who can help them, then their tech becomes obsolete. You know, you can buy them a, an iPad, but if they if they can't remember what to do with it, then they're lost. So we'd really like to think about digital inclusion in a very much older person-centred way. So we are working on doing what we always like to do, which is asking older people what they think and what they want and, and taking it forward from there and saying, well, what, what are the kinds of things that will help you to learn and continue to learn and encouraging our volunteers to create spaces where they can they can help. I always think that one of the striking things about loneliness and, and sort of triggers for loneliness and triggers for, we were talking earlier about change, is around grief and how you get to a point in life where you're in a state of basically constant grief you get to that point when you're going to lots and lots of funerals and so on and we all feel it when we feel grief you do forget things and it's it is disrupting that change is disrupting and as well as being a huge loss and so there's a lot of expectation on people to be able to remember new things and do things differently and so on and yet actually your life and your feelings and 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 you know are, are not pointing you in that direction and again you know my my mother was incredibly good at technology she was she was remarkable but and got to the stage in life where she went to a lot of funerals and there was just one that just knocked her sideways and and she rang me up and she said I, I can't I just can't use my email and 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 it really I think is very very striking that that the way that you can get and you know we all get knocked sideways by grief and it doesn't that doesn't stop just because you know more people who are dying yeah and I think that's not always taken into consideration is it so I think the fact that you guys have such knowledge of that over 75 so you can really build something that's maybe more sensitive to that as well it's very easy to say oh we yeah. need to get everyone online but there's so many nuances to that so many nuances, exactly. And and so many opportunities to do wonderful things, you know, and we have these, you know, our advisory group is forever just helping us to understand things better and helping us to understand, you know, what what the what the world looks like from from that side of 75. And so we we feel that we can really build on our knowledge always by going directly to the older people and, and finding out what they really need. And And yeah, this is the perfect example where there will be people like your grandfather who are are in their own way digital natives 
and then others who aren't. And it'll and it'll just be really interesting to see going forward into the future how much people who have economically, a lot of people won't be able to sustain internet connections and smartphones and all of that. There is an assumption that everybody can afford to have what's needed. And so, you know, there's quite a lot of work and thinking to be done about making sure that we get that right. If someone wanted to get in touch and become involved, how would they go about doing that? If they are online, then they can go on our website. For volunteers, for tea parties, we've got an interactive map, which we are working on at the moment, actually, to make it even better. But that shows all the vacancies available at the moment. And so people can look in their area and see if there's a vacancy. And if there isn't, they can always get in touch with us about starting a new group because we would love to hear from people who want to set up new groups because we're really raring to go on that front. For anybody who is interested in getting involved in our services, any older people or any friends and family or referrers, they can contact us via our website. They can email us, but they can also ring 0800 716 543. Great. Thank you so much. So for the final two questions of our podcast, they are, when did you last feel lonely? And what advice would you give to someone to help them feel more connected? So I think that with the feeling lonely thing, I do think that times of grieving are the things that remind us of our loneliness and, and you know, remembering people and, and feeling sad that you, that you'll never see them again. That can be a very lonely thing. So, and I think that makes me feel very conscious of what the older people that we work with experience because because it doesn't go away and that sense of loss can come back. So I certainly think that that's the times when I feel lonely or when I, when I remember and then I remember that I'll never have that connection again. And in terms of wanting to connect with people, I, you know, I, I do think that it is worth remembering that an awful lot of people are lonely and that, you know, that a lot of us are like that. And um, I said that, you know, I felt this strong sense of loneliness when I had my first child and, and so many new mothers do but it seems so sad that everybody's in the same boat and yet somehow or other we can't make those connections there's now an app for new mothers called peanut like a dating app wonderful wonderful and the more you know find the tools find the thing that's right for you because it's so sad to think that we all find it so hard to make connections but actually even if you just make little connections you get braver and braver and manage your expectations because you're not going to make your best bosom buddy overnight just walking down the street saying hello to people in the supermarket. But at the same time, you're going to fill your day with positive experiences that are going to make you feel better and better. Well, thank you so much, Meryl. It's been such an interesting conversation and I've loved speaking to you. So thank you. It's been a great pleasure. And I think it's wonderful what you do. I think it's lovely the way that you're volunteering in this way. It's so inspirational. Thank you.